if you have your Bibles with you tonight and you want to turn there, uh, we're going to be taking some scripture out of the gospel according to Luke in uh, chapter 21. And uh, I would imagine that at least some of this is uh, very familiar uh, to you, or I would like to think that it is. Uh, Luke 21, and we'll start reading uh, at about verse 7. I think it's important that we keep in the front of our minds and, and our focus on the fact that Jesus Christ is our soon coming King. Oh, yeah. uh, that He's going to come back and He's going to receive the church. And before that happens, though, there's going to be the, the world is going to wax worse and worse. Right. But you'll notice that what's not said during this scripture is where Jesus says the Christian church should throw their hands up and quit. That they should quit trying because I, I, I think there's a temptation in this world. And, and we say it every time when we look at things and how bad things are. We say it's a sign of the times. And yes, I, I do believe that is. But we shouldn't say it as though, well, what are you going to do? We should rather be saying it is a sign of the times. It means that it's getting late and the harvest is, the fields are white for the harvest and we need to be working. And, you know, Jesus said that we should pray that the Lord would send forth uh, laborers into the harvest because the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. And uh, so the disciples began to ask him here in this particular set of scripture in Luke, uh, uh, you know, that. Uh, about when these last days were going to take place. Uh, and, and we'll start reading at verse 7 in Luke chapter 21. It says, And they asked him, saying, Master, but when shall these things be, and what sign will there be when these things shall come to pass? Now I think that's uh, uh, probably some due diligence on their part because they knew uh, that our God works with signs and wonders and things like that, that uh, He assures us along the way. And, and don't ever allow yourself to get caught up in all the signs and the wonders and things like that. Uh, those are for your encouragement. They're not uh, uh, for you to study until you're ready to pull every hair out of your head uh, or take the proverbial theological hair and split it ten different ways. Uh, that all of the prophecies about Jesus Christ uh, were so that whenever that He came into the world, uh, it would be the evidence that He was who He said He was. Uh, uh, that when they said He would be born of a virgin, He satisfied that. Uh, when they said He would be born in Bethlehem, uh, He happened to be born right there in Bethlehem. Uh, and all the other many prophecies that we don't have time to go through. Uh, but I can tell you this, uh, that the disciples knew uh, uh, that when God has a plan, uh, He'll send signs to His people. Uh, he'll give encouragement to them uh, uh, so that they don't give up along the way. Because I don't know about you all. Now we live in a day and time where GPS is a thing, but I imagine everybody here can remember a time before GPS was a thing. And you had to go somewhere and if you didn't have somebody in a vehicle with you that had been there before, uh, you might have a map or you might have an inkling of uh, uh, which way to go, but somebody, if you stopped and asked them for directions... A lot of times they would tell you, especially if they were good at giving directions. Now, some people I've asked 
Wasn't worth a quarter at giving directions. But uh, they would say, now, as you go along, you're going to see this. Uh, when you see that, you know you're on the right track. Uh, and you just keep right on going. And after that, you're going to come to a crossroads. Uh, and you keep left. Uh, uh, and you'll see an old man sitting in his rocking chair. And you might say, well, what if he ain't out there? Oh, he's always out there. Uh, and they'll encourage you along the way. And you'll start taking the trip. And you'll see the things that they said was going to come to pass. And you'll be encouraged. You'll know, I'm on the right track. I'm going the right direction. And you continue on. And when the disciples asked this, they were asking Jesus, when this starts happening, it's going to be difficult. And Lord, we'll need encouraged along the way. And so He tells them in verse 8, Take heed that ye be not deceived. Now notice, he started out by saying, don't get fooled by anybody else. Now I can tell you, I've been given directions by somebody that didn't have a clue how to get somewhere. And it ended in calamity. And you'll notice that Jesus said now when the Holy Spirit would come, after He went back to heaven, He said He'd lead you into all truth. But he said, I don't want you to be deceived. Uh, uh, take heed, listen up, uh, so that these things, when I tell you about them, uh, uh, that you'll remember them so that you don't get misled. And he goes on and says in the remainder of verse 8, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and the time draweth near. Go ye not, therefore, after them. Uh, uh, in the book of Matthew, the way Jesus put it, or the way Matthew recorded it, was He said, There'd arise many false prophets and many false Christs. Uh, they'd say, Lo, He's here, or Lo, He's there. Uh, and the way I like to put it, maybe in more Wayne County terms, uh, is, Boys, when I come back, uh, you won't have to wander. Uh, everybody will know. Uh, everybody will see uh, that this world will be folded out flat uh, to where that they can all see Him at the same time. And He wanted them to be sure. Uh, and, and let me tell you something. In those last days, Jesus said uh, that they would deceive the very elect if it were possible. Uh, and the only way that it isn't is if a person ain't studied up uh, and a person ain't trusting in the Holy Spirit. Uh, a person ain't looking to the Lord uh, and they're looking at all the things that are going on in the world. And so he told him, don't go out when somebody says that. And I remember when I was a kid back in the early 90s, uh, there was a guy by the name of David Koresh down there in Waco, Texas. Uh, uh, and he had his Branch Davidians and all this. And he convinced these people that he was uh, uh, Jesus Christ come back into the world. Uh, those people were deceived uh, because they didn't know the Word of God uh, or the God of that Word. Because uh, they'd have looked around and said, he's not coming back in secret. Uh, he's not going to come back like a baby in a man. He's going to come back as the lion of the tribe of Judah so that all would see every knee bowing, every tongue confessing, knowing that He is the Son of the Most High God. And so He tells them, don't be deceived. How do you not be deceived? I can tell you, somebody can tell you a lie, but you know the truth. That lie is not going to fly. I don't care how much truth they frost it with. Because Satan, it says he's the father of lies. He's a liar and he'll do his best to deceive you with lying signs and wonders. And I've told my students this before. Maybe I was out on a limb with them when I told them this. One of them was telling me, my horoscope said thus and such today. And I said, there's a Greek word for what you're talking about there. And she said, there is. And I said, yeah, it's called baloney. She said, what? What do you mean? And I said, look, when you read that, it's so general, so vague, 
and you're constantly looking for it to come true. It's typically called confirmation bias. They say, oh, your lucky number today is 25. And you'll see maybe 150 other numbers, but when you see 25, it's right. There it is. And that's the way Satan works with his lying wonders. And he does have power. We know that. At no point should we ever say, oh no, Satan don't have any power. He has power. He said that when he was tempting Jesus that he had the kingdoms of the world and he'd give them to whom that he would. If Jesus had just bowed down and worship him, he'd have given them to him. He has power. But what he doesn't have power over is a blood-bought Christian because he can't lie. He can't fool them. He can't tempt them beyond that which they can bear because God will not allow that. And you can take that as a promise, a surety. God will not allow that. Now we often say, God won't put more on you than what you can bear. That's not, that's not scriptural. What is scriptural is God will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you can bear without making a way of escape. But here's the thing about that escape. You've got to take it. You see, because that temptation, you want it. That's why it's temptation. And you've got to escape from it. These lying signs and wonders, uh, these people that uh, uh, come about, uh, uh, and they come and they'll talk about Jesus Christ, uh, but really more, it's all about them and what they can do. Anytime you hear preaching that isn't anchored in the blood of Jesus Christ uh, as as a Savior for those that are lost, uh, you need to consider that unsound doctrine. Don't hear them. I can tell you they may sound just like I do right now, but I can tell you everything that I've said so far without Jesus Christ crucified on the cross and raised again on the third day is pointless and useless to a world that's dying of their sin. And people may not like that. They may not like this bloody religion that we have here. Salvation became a very messy, very bloody business. And Jesus satisfied it all there on the cross. And so when he told them this, he said, look, uh, uh, it's it's going to be difficult. Uh, He goes on and says, but when ye shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified for these things must first come to pass, but the end is not by and by. Verse 10, then said he unto them, nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdoms, and great earthquakes shall be in diverse places and famines and pestilences and fearful sights and great signs shall there be from heaven. But before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into the prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. Now I can tell you, the church, uh, and and I've heard this said before, you know, the the church seemed to flourish when uh, it wasn't uh, mainstream. And once it went mainstream, it seems like it spent too much time in the sunlight and got a little dried out. Uh But you'll find that Christianity is flourishing in places where it's illegal. Amen. Because they've got a hold of something that's better than what this world has to offer. It may be we're just a little bit too comfortable, a little bit too dependent upon the things of the world. And maybe it'll be that God will come along and begin to shake the foundations and really just see who has the weightier things of the law. Jesus, when He was talking to the Pharisees, that's what He told them. You do these things. You love Me with your lips, but your heart's far from Me. And He said, you know, that you tithe and do all these things. He said, but you ignore the weightier things of the law, which are judgment and mercy and faith. 
And, and, and I, I've thought a lot about that over the, over the years since that Scripture really just as I... The way I put it, sometimes it's like a Scripture just becomes three-dimensional. It just jumps right off the page at you. And I remember when I read that, the weightier things of the law... And you know, I, I've never been big into farming or anything like that, but I got to studying about threshing wheat. And how that they would do that. Uh, and says now that they would go up, uh, uh, and, and, and it was usually up on a hill where that they would do it because it's windier up on the hilltop. And they would take that and they would beat it on there. Uh, and the actual good part, the part you wanted, it was heavier. Yeah. And it would fall to the ground, but that wind would carry the stuff that was useless away. It had no mass. It had no weight uh, to it. And it was blown away. It was chaff was what that they called it. Uh, and you see this right here, what it tells me uh, is it's a shaking up uh, of those that are grounded and rooted uh, in the rock. Uh, uh, settled in Jesus Christ. Uh, that even when your very foundations of your own personal life uh, get shaken, uh, you're founded upon the rock. And it's real easy. To say, but it's a lot harder to do. Oh yeah. Jesus, the way he put it, he said, Those that hear my sayings and keep them, yes. he compared them to somebody who dug deep oh, and laid yes. a foundation upon the rock. And all of these things, you know, we can look around and, and, and to be perfectly honest, when I read this every time I do, I kind of check off a mental list. I believe about everything that was listed there. We could say it's happening right now. It's taking place in the world. There are wars taking place all the time. Pestilences. Yeah, I believe there's a pestilence known as COVID-19 that's gripped the world for the last two years now. Uh, uh, there's famines in lots of places. Uh, there's worry about famine right here in the United States. Uh, but I'll tell you, the biggest famine that we got going on right now is famine uh, for the hearing of the Word of God. Uh, it's still there, uh, but people won't listen. Uh, they, they prefer other things over top of it. Uh, and you see a lot of times uh, uh, when people make their choice now, uh, uh, they don't want to choose their consequence. They just want to choose what they want. Oh, yeah. And the world we're living in right now is that people are choosing something other oh, yeah. than Christ. Something other than looking to God. But as I mentioned Sunday, we've got to, we've got to turn to God first, not second. Amen. We shouldn't put God third in our lives. He should be first and number one. Trust Him when you have a choice. Don't just always leave it to when your back's against the wall. You have no alternative. You'll notice He goes on and says, And it shall turn to you for a testimony, enduring those things. Matthew 24, 13. He that endureth until the end, the same shall be saved. Not might be, ought to be, or could be, but shall be saved. And we need to trust in that. But know that we've got to endure. And you don't endure without being prepared. And he says now when you endure, it'll be a testimony for you. In verse 14, he says, Settle it therefore in your hearts, not to meditate before what ye shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. And ye shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinsfolk and friends. And some of you shall they cause to be put to death, and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. That doesn't really paint such a pretty picture. You know, you would think if Jesus was really wanting to recruit people, He'd say, oh no, everything's going to be okay. Oh no, everything's going to be uh, 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 just absolutely right. 
And, and, and you're not going to have any problems. That, that man stuff just going to roll right out of your way and the heels will break forth in song whenever you walk into them. I can tell you that would be great, but that's not the truth. And you'll notice that anybody who comes along as a false prophet, these people that claim they're modern day prophets and all that, well, I can tell you if one prediction they make doesn't come true, they're a false prophet. That's right. And when they come around, and you'll always know them by this thing, and beware of them, they'll only prophesy good things for people. Just the same as them fortune tellers. Those fortune tellers, they'll only prophesy good things. They don't want to tell you. You're getting ready to go through the most difficult time in your life. There's going to be a famine in your land. You're going to have loved ones who are going to die tragically. And it's going to be difficult. And you're going to question and wonder why. But on the other side of it, you're going to get stronger. They won't tell you that, but God will. God will look at you and say, I know you're suffering, child, but my grace is sufficient for thee. I know that it's not what you would prefer, but with this and through this, you'll better serve me and you'll get closer to me through this. And you see the disciples now, they might have, I honestly think when Jesus was telling them this, it's kind of like the traditional marriage vows. And I love them. Honestly, I would prefer to never perform a wedding ceremony that they write their own vows. Right. Number one, their, their, their own vows are usually horrible. Right. I mean, they're awful. It's all about how they feel. Yeah. But you'll notice the traditional marriage vows. It says it, 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 says it could be for richer or for poorer. Yeah, that's right. For better or for worse. Sickness and in health. Essentially, they're saying, look, it ain't going to be all great. It might be all bad. It might be sick and poor and worse. It might be the bad times. And if you want to get out, get out now. Because it's better to not make a vow than to make a vow and break it. And Jesus was telling the disciples, have your mind made up. Gird up the loins of your mind. Paul, the way he put it, he said, if you want to win this fight, you better put on the whole armor of God. You better be sure when you go out to battle that you're ready to fight and meet the enemy face to face. Because right here he paints a picture that says they're going to come and get you by the arm and lead you out and say, you're one of his. And are you going to be able to stand and say, yes, I am one of His. And regardless of what you do to me, I will not bow. I will not relent. Though you slay me, I'll serve Him. Just like the three Hebrew children. They looked at Nebuchadnezzar and they said, King, we don't have to huddle up. We don't have to discuss. We will not bow to your God. Because our first commandment says, Thou shalt have no other God before me. And they believed it to the point that they said, even if you kill us, and God allows us to die the death. Because they didn't know. All they knew was there stood Nebuchadnezzar. There was the fiery furnace seven times hotter than it had ever been. And they looked at him and said, now our God's able to deliver in the fire. Our God is able to take care of us, but even if He sees fit not to, we will not bow 
And we know how that worked out for them. They went into that fire. And the only thing that was burned away were their bonds. They were set free. I love the way that it's recorded in the book of Daniel. It says the fire had no power over them. It had no ability to hurt them. Because the sovereign God of heaven and earth decreed it shall do you no harm. You'll go through the fire, but it'll have no power over you. Daniel had a similar happening. It wasn't fire, it was lions. He went into a den of lions. Uh, not a lion's den, not a singular lion, uh, but a bunch of lions. But my overactive imagination uh, shows me that when Daniel went in there, uh, I believe that he used a lion for a pillow that night uh, that they huddled up around him. Uh, I don't know if lions can purr, uh, uh, but they might have been purring right next to him that night uh, because of the, when the, the king drew near and he said, Is your God uh, uh, whom you diligently serve? Has He been able to save you? Uh, and Daniel said he has he's brought me through he closed their mouths sent an angel of the Lord to protect me and we love that but also if you go into the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and it talks about the heroes of faith he rounds it out with the ones that God saw fit to let them go through and be burned, be sawn asunder, be thrown in pits. And the writer of Hebrews said, this world wasn't worthy of those that they would die for the Word of God, that they stood firm and died for it. And some may say, well, that seems pretty crummy that He delivered some, but not others. But all are delivered over on the other side because we can be delivered in this world and mess around and die and go to hell. But when we cross over in Him... We're delivered. We're saved. We're spoken for. I've never taken the time to read all of it, but a few years ago I checked out Fox's Book of Martyrs. And I remember, you know, I'd heard a lot about it. I heard a minister that I like to listen to a lot talking about it. And it's all of the people that died for the faith. And there's so many, especially early on. And there are still people that are dying for the faith. I don't know that that's taking place here in the United States, but I can tell you, socially, there's lots of people that have been killed for the faith. Oh, yeah ostracized their own family set against them and I believe that's what Jesus was just talking about now he said that brothers and sisters that they would deliver you up and he said but don't you worry about what you're going to say because I'll speak through you you imagine being God's mouthpiece to a wicked and sinful world they're not going to like what you say he said you'll be hated for my name's sake I'll tell you, every time I think about that, every time that people don't want to hang out with me because they know I'm a minister, every time that I'm not invited to go to lunch with the group because that, uh, they're going to talk about things they know I won't approve of, I, I, I find myself you know, thinking about how that in the Word of God it says you know, they'll persecute you. Oh, yeah. They'll not like you for His name's sake. And this has happened to me a lot of times because people think they have to act and be better around a preacher. Oh yeah. I had an occasion to tell somebody one time, <coughs> excuse me, you don't have to be better around me. I don't see you all the time. But my God never sleeps. Oh yeah. He knows everything that you're doing and you're not accountable to me. You're accountable to him. You're accountable to the most high. 
And we are, whether there's a hundred people around us or we're by ourselves. And what we find here now is that Jesus, He told him, He said in verse 18 though, but there shall not an hair of your head perish in your patience. Possess ye your souls. Patiently awaiting the return of the Lord. Trust in Him. For whatever lays ahead, we may not be physically martyred. It may be something else, but I can tell you we're seeing the signs. We're seeing the things come to pass. And I can tell you that we should be getting excited about the return of the Lord. Uh, Now that doesn't mean that we're called to quit working. But what it does mean is that we need to be ready. Uh, And I don't know about you all, but I want to finish the race strong. I don't want to quit early. I don't want to coast across the finish line. This world is not worth holding back for. Whether we know that we have many days ahead or very few. You imagine how you would spend tomorrow if you knew it was your last day. Imagine how you would worship tonight if you knew that this was the last church service that you were going to be in. Imagine how I would preach if I knew that this was the last time I would take the stand. I would leave nothing unsaid. I would pray as like I'd never prayed before. I would worship like I've never worshipped before. Because look, we just don't know. We have no idea what lays around the next corner. But I can tell you this, I know the God that has everything under control. You know, they say that a person that seeks to control everything ultimately ends up controlling nothing. And yet, our God, He sees the things that are too big for us to understand and the small things that even human beings, human technology has never seen. He sees it all and He knows exactly where every bit of it is. And Jesus just told them, not a hair of your head is going to perish. I don't know about you, but I don't keep track of every hair from my head. I'm sure when I was washing my hair this morning, as a few fell out or, you know, turned loose and and went down the drain. And I don't know where they're at. I don't know their condition, but God knows. He knows the very number. I don't. That's how intimately He knows us. And you honestly think that He'll quit on us if He knows us that intimately that a lot of times we get worried because we're all worried about the details. And and now I have to tiptoe when I say this because I'm a worrier. Uh, But I can tell you, I've found that in times uh, of my great distress, uh, that if I look to the Lord, I'll find uh, uh, that I'll make it through just a little bit better. uh, That I'll learn to trust. Now that doesn't always alleviate all of my anxiety. uh, But I look around and I say, God, uh, I've trusted you in these other things. Uh, God, I'll trust you in this. Uh, And God, if you want me in it, then I know you'll bring me through. Because oh, yeah. it gets scary sometimes. Yes, it does. When we lose, when, when everything around us is in just complete and total turmoil. But He'll bring us through. Oh, yes. The disciples, when they were on that boat out at sea, oh, it was Jesus' idea to even go out there. And He saved them. He'll save you. He'll save me. He cares that much. But you got to ask yourself the same question that he asked them. Where is your faith? Right. What's it in? Because I fear that part of the problem for this world right now is that they're trusting in all the wrong things. Right. 
They're trusting in the things of the world and in their ability to go out and work with their own hands. And I'm like several of you have mentioned tonight, I couldn't get out of bed without God's blessing. I couldn't wake up. I don't know what's going on while I'm asleep. I'm unconscious. I've had things happen that I didn't even know had happened. only seen the evidence of it having happened after that I woke up. But God knows. He never sleeps. He's always on watch. He always takes care of us. And He's the one that has us in the very palm of His hand taking care of us. And Jesus now, He's telling them about all these things. But then He, he, he essentially tells them, look, it's going to turn out alright for you. You may not know how or when. Now that, that's a little consolation at the time, and I know it is. Yeah. But you know, I think about Paul and Silas. There they were in that Philippian jail. And they were down in there, and you know, I mean, jails are a lot nicer place now than what they ever were oh, yeah. back then. And they were down there, and I imagine smells like that we couldn't even really conceive of nowadays. And moaning and misery and cursing and every vileness of man because they were down in the lowest of the lowest of the low. And then right in the middle of that, right in the middle of that, maybe they heard, once like a bird in prison. And everybody, what? Is somebody singing? Might have been somebody say, cut that racket out. And they got louder. Praising God. And people say, what do you got to praise about? You're in jail. They're probably going to, you know, if you don't get starved to death or beat to death down here, you'll die from exposure or you'll get pneumonia or something like that. And still they sing. They have no reason to sing as far as the world can see, but they sing still and they praise God and they rejoice. And what were they rejoicing in but being able to suffer and be hated for His name's sake? And they begin to sing. And it says that while they sing, that the very foundations of the jail begin to shake and says that the doors spring open because the Son had set them free. And the Philippian jailer comes in there now, uh, and this is what it took for that Philippian jailer uh, to get saved. It was that he looked around and he was ready to end himself because of the punishment that he would get if all those men escaped. And the very same ones that were singing and brought about that earthquake said, Don't hurt yourself, we're all still in here. And that Philippian jailer said, I would like to have some of what you've got because even in the prison. Even in the belly of hell, you rejoice in the Lord. Oh, yes. I tell you, we should aspire to such things. Yes. To be able to rejoice at the most difficult times in our life. And they told him about Jesus, and he got saved. I love a good conversion story. I love to hear somebody tell about how they got saved. What brought them to that point. (laughs) I was reading years ago a a book called Band of Brothers. There's a a mini-series based on it. And uh, there was a guy that wrote, uh, he was in, he was the commanding officer that men talked about in Band of Brothers. And he wrote an extra book to it. And he recounts a story of a man that he said was one of the cruelest men in that company. 
that he, he committed war atrocities. And he said, no, I'm not apologizing for the man or anything like that. He said, but what happened was after the war, he said the demons that that man had invited into his life by committing those atrocities against those German citizens, civilians, not soldiers, he said they, they climbed in bed with him and he began to drink and become a rotten fella. And he said, and this man told me this story. And he died many years before. And he said, and I'm trying to write it down so that it's not forgotten. But he said that uh, he was in a rotten state and was living with his sister and her kids. And she was a godly woman. And he'd hear her praying for him and it just would run off of him like water off of a duck's back. But said her little girl, her little girl come in there one night and she loved him dearly. And she began to pray for him, Brother Dennis. And she began to pray that childlike prayer. She said, God, I don't want my uncle to go to hell with the devil. And God, will you take off of him whatever's making him this way? He said he jumped out of that bed like something had kicked him and he said he was set free. Said that he was turned loose because God can deliver where nothing else can deliver, church. That I tell you, don't give up hope because there may be a little girl going to come for your loved one and pray a prayer that nobody else can pray. Don't you give up hope on what God can do in your life, in your loved one's life. That this man got delivered and set free because somebody had the joy of the Lord in their life. Oh, yeah. You may not be able to do that for your kid, but you might be able to do that for somebody else's. Yes. You might be able to help liberate them that they see the praise in you when you shouldn't be able to praise. They see the joy that they really shouldn't be able to see based on circumstances. And I'll tell you, when a, person, when a person comes to the Lord, what a joyous occasion that it is when they come to Him because they've turned around. They've decided to no longer be what this world would have them to be. You know, He's still working on me. And I'll tell you this tonight, church. Don't give up in these difficult times. Encourage yourself in the Lord. You know, studying His Word will keep you from being deceived, thinking that people can't be saved or won't be in this day and time. As I've heard Adrian Rogers say many times, there's nobody so good that they need not be saved and nobody so bad that they cannot be saved. Church, there's still hope. We work until that the harvest is done. And we may see these things come to pass, and I believe we are. But that doesn't mean people can't be saved. I hope that this message has blessed you.